What's up, man? Good morning. How are you? Good. Good. You doing audio only? Uh, no. Okay. I can't see you. Hold on. Uh, ah. I'm new to this, so. Hey, did you see how I smiled when I saw your face? So good. You just lit up like a like a little schoolgirl. Yeah. Hey, man. It's good to see you. Good seeing you too, man. Uh, I love your backdrop. It's very relaxing. It's probably the theme of this uh, this little Dude, pandemic. <laughs> I'm not gonna lie, man. I drink a lot of wine <laughs> during this downtime. <laughs> There's been a lot of eating, a lot of uh, drinking, a lot of laziness going on. Yeah. Well, man, um, let me give you an intro real quick for people who don't know who you are. I'm sure a lot of people watching this, uh, once I share it, will watch it because they do know who you are. But Chris Carlino. Uh, entrepreneur extraordinaire. Um, I mean, I hate to say you're just like the one of the owners of the AGF because you know, like that kind of makes it seem like all you do is like tournament level stuff. And I know that you do a lot of um, behind the scenes stuff for the tournament. And then just outside of that, you've had a long history in business. But um, that's kind of stuff I wanted to talk about today too. Like, how did you get started? on the AGF path? Well, I have a long history of failed businesses, like lots of failed businesses. So, but uh, basically the, the journey started with me uh, training jujitsu. And I started off with uh, under Brandon Quick. He's, he had his school in my hometown. Started training with him for quite a while. And then eventually we started doing app development. Um, that's back when Jiu-Jitsu apps were pretty popular. We had a brand called Killer Apps. And so from there, that kind of started uh, losing a little bit of momentum as a lot of other uh, practitioners had started doing apps as well. And eventually we got into the tournament business. Uh, you know, I've said it numerous times is you go to a tournament, you start counting heads, and then you think, wow, this is a uh, pretty big moneymaker right now. And but once you actually start getting into it, then you realize, you know, it's not as much money as one might think. There's a, there's a crap load of overhead that goes along with it. And especially if you're trying to grow the brand and trying to improve and make all these changes. And so with that comes additional expenses. And so it, it kind of, I don't know, just kind of blossom into what it is now, but it's, it's, you've been a part of, you know, some of my trips and a lot of the other stuff. And so, you know, there's a lot of effort that goes into it. And so it's not just throwing some mats on the ground and having a tournament. Exactly, Man, you told me sometime last year, kind of, you're really just only alluding to like payroll uh, for doing Tulsa Nationals as a two day event. And man, people really wouldn't think that, I mean, I know I was like campaigning for a two day event just cause I didn't want to be there all day or whatever. But then like, that's the stuff that people don't think about is like, you have a lot of people helping you, especially at that event, but at other large events you do and venues and man, you scout venues all over the country. That's where um, I've been with you a time or two, but uh, there's a lot of overhead involved. There's a tremendous amount of overhead because uh, you know, and, when you have tournaments and you take local refs 
it creates problems because not every gym gets along with other gyms and you can't get a, you know, you can't get away with the whole illusion of bias. Even if there's no bias whatsoever, if it's an opposing gym that has a ref there that's, you know, against your student, for example, you know, there's a part of your brain that, you know, thinks maybe, maybe that was a, you know, a, a poor judgment based upon their, their feelings towards you or towards your school or possibly your student. So one of the big expenses that we have is trying to bring refs from other states that have no concern or care about any affiliations or schools or anything like that. So that's one of the bigger problems with, uh, you know, the, the payroll expenses because we're bringing them in from these out of states. We're paying their gas, we're paying their hotel, we're paying them for two days. You know, it, it, it adds up. So. Yeah. Man, when did you guys do the very, was the first AGF at Springfield, Missouri? No, no. First, uh, we're based out of Dallas. So yeah. our first AGF. Okay. But we've, we've been to Springfield numerous times. I remember, times. I was thinking I went to like the very first tournament, but I can't remember, like, it was one of the first ones. Uh, what was, what, when and where was the first tournament you did? Uh, it was back in October of 2011. Um, that was in Dallas. Um, it was, it was a Nogi only tournament, I believe. I think it was the Nogi Fall Classic or something. I don't know. This. I remember it because I because I misspelled the name of I misspelled classic on the t-shirt and we've had know, that happen two times man you need to stop so you know me I'm kind of OCD about certain things and I kind of and I kind of a perfectionist about certain things and so uh everyone made fun of me for that because I, I'm so focused on doing so many things and so I just this completely slipped my brain you know and I you know it's I've, I've messed up quite a few times on things where I just don't pay attention or I rush through things. And this so obviously proofing is hard. What's that? Proofing, proofing your content oh, yeah. and you get so focused on putting it out. And I know you put out a massive amount of content and it's like, you almost need to like with me at the university, I, I can like get my, you know, people to proofread and stuff for me. Uh, so it's helpful, but man, well, what was funny was in the beginning of this year in 2020, we went ahead and said, okay, let's cut some costs. Let's go ahead and uh, get all of our printing done for our banners. Yeah, it turns out to be a great idea now. But so we printed about six or seven tournament banners, you know, the podium banners up. Mm -hmm. Nobody in the entire process noticed that it still said 2019 on it. <laughs> so we had about six banners out there that had 2019, you know, Dallas Winter Classic and then the Oklahoma State Championships all had to love. So we had to kind of like jury rig it and, and create some uh, some some additional uh, vinyl numbers of 2020. Yeah, yeah. Nobody would notice it. But yeah, so it's proofing is extremely uh, it's a it's a necessary process, but it's very easy to just glaze over things and not really, you know, notice things that are just like obvious man it's uh for me it's embarrassing because like let's say i'll have like a set of lecture notes that i've gone through and refined for like two years since mm -hmm. i made them and made changes every semester and had them given them to my students for two total years and then i noticed like some mistake like most recently it was just like a it was 1565 or it like I'd inverted the number to 56 or something like that. But man, I mean, it just happens. And it's like, I'm, 
I do it for a living during, during a part, a part of my day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What do you do? Blame your students for not proofing better. I know they should have, they should have caught me before that. It's their fault. It was a test, which they failed. They failed. There you go. <laughs> oh man. Well, so how many States are you guys doing tournaments in now? To be honest with you, I don't even know anymore. Um, we had, we had quite a few set up some new places we were going to be in this year. And I think it was going to push us to maybe 23. But how many we've actually been to, I think probably closer to like 15 or 16. You've been doing, um, how many times have you guys done the international um, where you've gone to Europe now? Is uh, right? This is our third year. So we were going to have a tournament in uh, Luxembourg and turns out that it was right during this whole, you know, pandemic thing. So we had to cancel that. Man, you know, that's kind of what we were joking about that a little bit in the beginning, but how has the AGF adapted to that? You guys probably had to cancel a ton of events. Yeah, we had to do a ton of refunds. Um, I just recently canceled all our May events. I've been kind of having a, a wait and see approach and kind of saying, you know, do we, do we want to just wait, possibly see if maybe we can do a June tournament. And then when we get middle of May where I, I realize, you know, we can't, so I'll start canceling June. And that's how we're just kind of seeing how it's going to go. It's been, we've been pretty much doing nothing as far as, you know, growing the tournaments and stuff like that. I've pretty much, I've pretty much been focusing on just building the website, um, the apps and the back end stuff. So to kind of help, you know, make things easier for, for the competitors and for the staff to be able to manage the events a little bit better. I don't have this big, huge software package that's already got all this stuff in it. So I'm having to rely on adding it in a little bit by little bit. The, the good thing is, is, you know, I got a lot of downtime for development. The bad news is I have no real time testing. So typically whenever I do development on an app, I do a little bit of a feature, I roll it and I run it through a couple uh, tournament cycles to make sure, you know, if it needs tweaking or fixing or if anything else is, is going bad about it. But now it's like, I got like six or seven new features that I need to use for the next tournament. And none of them have been tested in a, in a full tournament, you know, environment. So I'm hoping that, you know, that they work and I don't have any issues that, that cause a showstopper. What that, that is, I mean, I've been trying to stay focused on that about, you're using your downtime, you know, you're working on development stuff that you would not normally get to work on, even though there's downsides to that. I found some major positives and just like, I'm getting tons of stuff done that because I normally teach college five, six hours a day. And then I'm at the gym another three or four hours a day easily. I just, it's a slow trickle on all other things I want to do, even if it's building those two other things, you know, but uh, what is all some of the stuff that you've, like, um, I know you've come up with some things um, recently, like the ranking uh, system. Like, what are some things aside from just the tournament that you offer to people that are involved with the AGF features uh, and what's coming? Well, some of the stuff is just common sense stuff. It's, it's you know, things that we just haven't added in yet. It's because, as I said, this is a homegrown solution. Um, and, you know, and I've alluded to this in, in previous conversations, I can go out there and use someone else's software and it'll do everything that, you know, 
that I'm adding now. But, you know, I, I want the tournament to run our way. I don't want to run it like everyone else's tournament. And so in order to do that, it's all being custom built. So, I mean, some of the, some of the things that's going to be released pretty soon is the ability for people to make changes to their own registration. I mean, it sounds as simple as like, yeah, why wouldn't you do that? Because it's not been written yet. It's difficult. It's a time-consuming process. Is that so, going to save you a lot of time? I'm saying. Will that save you a lot of time? Oh, tremendous amount of time. I know. I'm just thinking about how much time you, you personally maintenance all of that. Do you not? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I do all of this. So it's the, the downside is, is whenever you have a lot of tournaments going on at one time, you're constantly getting requests and all this other stuff from all these different tournaments, you know, and some of them are, you know, you got to use Google translate to understand what people are saying because they're from Europe. And so you would think that, you know, Hey, I'm Brian Wilson. I want to change my registration from this division to this division. I want to change my Academy name from this, and this as a common sense thing would be like to include the tournament name that you want to be changed from because I don't have a simple search where I say, okay, Brian Wilson, he's registered for this tournament. Or in some cases you might be registered for two tournaments, you know? And, and so I need to know which one you want to change for. And so just a simple request of a change of, of weight or change or adding a division and you're not telling me what division you want to be added to, you know, it's like, Hey, can you add me to Nogi? Okay. What's your experience level? I don't know. I'm like, okay, well, here's the, the experience uh, link. You know, it's like, wow. Wow. let me know. What, you know. So being able to add that onto the website where you can do all that stuff yourself is going to save me a tremendous amount of time. It, it, it changes that ping pong, you know, where I have to send you a follow-up email and then hope that you send me the information that I need. So that's one thing that's coming down the pipeline. Um, the other thing is, is I want to move away from the weight cards. I, I feel like that's, that's a step that was important um, because it allowed us to, you know, to kind of know your weight because we didn't have a digital system. So that's the process that's coming next is being able to use our, 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 our administrative app to do away with the weight card. So you can actually weigh in there and then hand in hand with that's going to be ID, you know, ID badges. So, I now have a photo ID of you. So I no longer need to know who you are anymore. I can just see your ID. I can scan it with my app possibly. And then it's in the system what your weight is. And then that way, if you lose your ID, obviously you got to go buy another one and get another one made. But hopefully you take care of that. I mean, the weight cards, as I said, was a really good idea. But, you know, we've actually found some shadiness done with that. People keeping their weight cards from previous events where they made weight. Really? So, yeah, people are wow. shady. <laughs> so, How do you them for that, if you don't mind me asking? Uh, one of my staff told me about it. Uh, and I, I don't know if they busted him or if someone joked about it and said, hell, I'm just going to keep this for next time, or I don't remember. But Still, yeah, that's something you wouldn't think about. Yeah, I so we've, we've, we've obviously adapted, you know, like, okay, start initialing it with a certain color pen, stuff like that. But eventually, you know, I just need to do away with it. It's kind of a, uh, you know, a, oh, what's the word? Uh, an old system. Yeah. Archaics. It's an archaic uh, approach to solving that problem. So we're going to modernize that. And, and hopefully, I don't know when I'm going to get all that done because I got to go buy, you know, an ID printer. And then we now have two tournament setups in the U S and we have one in Europe. So it's like being able to push that technology and that, you know, all that innovation to all these other markets 
where I'm not there to kind of handhold it and make sure that it's being done properly, it creates some, some issues. Do you have an estimate of how many employees you work with across the AGF for all of this? I know you guys are running two. Events. Employees, three. Okay. But only, like, all, let's say all the referees, all of the table workers, like how many people are you working with? I would probably say around eight. Uh, I think around one year we were around, around 380. Uh, 400 one year, or maybe that was one or two years ago. I'm sure it's grown since then. Yeah, there's a lot of people. Wow, that's awesome though. But that's a lot of coordination. Like I, you talking about having to play ping pong via email. I can, I can empathize with that because I have 135 students at the college, about 300 <laughs> students at the at, uh, the gym. But every time a student from the college emails me, they're like, I need this. And I'm like, <laughs> what class are you in? They're like, I'm in US one. I'm like, I teach three sections of that. And they're like, oh, I'm in the Tuesday, Thursday. And that's I'm that's like, four or five emails right there just to get all that information. Oh man, I know exactly what you're saying though, but that's that is the kind of stuff that takes so much time. Like I when we first transitioned to online instruction only, I was sending 30 emails a day, you know. And I, so I'm sure you you hit some high volume when tournaments are on the horizon. Um, yeah, so most of the bulk of my work comes right before early registration. Um, everyone, it, it's it's kind of funny because it's not just Dallas and it's not just Arkansas. It's it's everywhere in Europe. Everyone waits to the last minute to register, and I'm sure it happens in college. You know, everyone's signing up for their classes at the last minute. And so the bulk of my, of my registrations come right before the deadline. And of course, with that comes a lot of emails, people saying, hey, I don't know what division. Oh, I missed early registration. I missed this or something like that. So most of it is the last minute. I'd say within the last five hours before midnight is when I get the bulk of my emails. After that, it's kind of quiet. And then it happens again with late registration. Same issues. Everyone waiting until the last minute to... You, you, they forget that they had seven days up to that point, but they wait till that Monday at midnight to start sending questions or complaints or, you know, Hey, I couldn't register, you know, and, and people don't realize that, you know, I have logs. So when you, you send me an email and say, Hey, I tried to register and your site was down. I'm like, okay, what, what's your username? I look it up. It shows no history. You ever trying to log in or anything like that. I'm like, you are a liar, sir. I have that feature too on, on mine. It's like you've never accessed this software ever. Yeah. Or, or, or it's as simple as like, what's your username? Oh, I don't have one. I'm like, how did you know that the site, you couldn't register if you don't have a username? It's like, you know, but you know, I, I have to, you know, obviously, you know, delete half the things that I want to say. And I have to sit there and say, yeah, sure. Not a problem, man. I'll be happy to help you. Nothing would bring me greater pleasure than to, help you in this time of need. <laughs> oh man. Yeah. That's, man, that is stuff that I feel like just most people wouldn't think about, uh, that somebody like you would have to deal with, you know, but that's just like any business owner. It's like, man, I, I do everything from clean toilets to hold college students by the hand to help little kids. And you did to Yeah. I mean, whatever it is, you just do it all, you know, whatever needs done. Oh, yeah. It's, yeah. It's your business. It's your baby. It's, it's what you, you know, 
if it fails, you may not eat. So it's, you know, you got to, you got to do what you got to do. And it took me a while to learn those lessons. You know, I mean, I had, as I said, I've had previous businesses where I've kind of just kind of took some things for granted, just had some assumptions that, that failed and, you know, caused businesses to fail. And, you know, and then, you know, obviously laziness kicks in. In some cases, you're like, okay, I can take a break now. I can rest because things are on going smoothly. And so you learn from those failures. And so you push it towards the next business, the one that you're passionate about, and you don't allow that to happen again. And what do you think? Um, I think in like a lot of ways, you guys, I mean, just based off my uh, insight as a practitioner and academy owner, I would say you guys are kind of vying for control of the industry standard. Yeah, I'd, I'd like to think we're trying to. Um, obviously, IBJJF is going to hold that for a long time. I don't know if anyone's going to knock them off. But you know what? Number two is not a bad spot. It, well, and you guys are definitely number two. And I mean, what are some things that I know that probably somewhat, um, it, it may be somewhat annoying. I'm sure people filter you like, well, IBJJF does it this way. Or, or whatever, I'm sure you get that a lot, but what are some things that makes you guys different than other tournament organizations, whether that's whatever, BJJF or whoever, you know? Um, I think one of the biggest uh, things that sets us apart is our customer service level. Um, there's, if, I, if you want to call about a tournament, you have my cell phone number and it's available on the website. You know, you just call and talk to one of the owners of AGF and we solve your problem. I mean, that's one of the main things. I can't just get on the phone and just call the IBJJF and, and, and get my issues resolved. Uh, so that's, that's probably one of the, the main things that sets us apart. The other one is, is you know, we want to maintain that, that level of professionalism that you get from the IBJJF. So we have that. And, and that's one of the things that other organizations, other jiu-jitsu tournaments don't have. Um, some of them rely on, you know, as I said, third party software to manage their tournaments. So if that fails, then their entire tournament will fail. Whereas ours, because we have the same staff, we have the same reps, everyone travels from city to city and does our tournaments. If something fails, we have nine other people or, or all these different procedures in place to try and make sure that, you know, nothing is noticeable on your end. You know, if the power goes out at a tournament, that shuts down most tournaments. We can keep going. We don't have a problem with it. You know, we, you may not be able to see the scores, but you know what we can, and we can sit there and run the clocks. We can still manage the, the entire tournament. We, we don't fail when the power goes out. We don't fail if the internet goes out. Now, if there's a serious emergency, obviously, you know, the building catches on fire, of course, everyone's got to evacuate. Yeah, I can't plan for that, but we can run. And if I have somebody that knows shows, I got nine other people, as I just said, that can fill in that spot. I got cross training. My refs know how to ring coordinate. You know, it's, it's, there's a lot of overlap as far as everyone knowing how to do everyone else's positions. And so I think that's one thing that sets us apart from other organizations. You know, there's tournaments that come to Arkansas that they hire local refs, that hire local staff that have never used their system, never ref form before, some don't even know the rules, you know, and it's, and that's, that's one of the downsides of, you know, being a different organization is every organization has their own rule set 
And so when you compare it to the IBJJF, yeah, we're like the IBJJF as far as our rules, but we're also, we, we'll sit there and say, okay, well, same rules for IBJJF, but we're more this, more leg friendly, more submission friendly or stuff like that. So everything compares to the IBJJF and then we just say where we're different in those regards. But yeah, getting back to what I'm saying is, is having these new people to your system causes you to run inefficiently. You may run okay, but at any point in time, something decides to fail or something go wrong, you now have to do damage control and it may or may, have, may not affect your customer's experience. And so I think that's some of the things that sets us apart. What would you say, uh, you know, kind of heads and tails here, like your proudest moment of this whole process since October, 2011 to right now, but also, you know, maybe, maybe you're not proudest moment, however you want to, However you want to. That's an easy, that's a real easy one. Um, the worst tournament we, well, one of the worst tournaments we ever run was we decided, you know what, we're going to join this expo. We got invited by this expo in, uh, in Georgia, in Atlanta. And it's a world fitness expo. And uh, I forget the guy's name that ran it. Got on the phone with him. Obviously he's really good at, you know, promoting, you know, built it up to be this great thing. Fast forward to the actual event. We show up, we do our setup that, uh, that evening. Everything seems fine. I was supposed to have bleachers, didn't have bleachers, but you know, that's not the end of the world. I'm okay with that. You know, we can move on. Didn't send me any red flags. Show up at 6.30 in the morning. We stand out there and we're like, okay, we need to get in. And we start knocking on the door, knocking on the door and nobody's answering. Finally, we just tracked somebody down at the convention center and someone, you know, finally gets us to the right people. And we, we, we find out that they're not letting anybody in right now. We're like, okay. So we start building up a small crowd outside, mostly vendors, because it's an expo. So you get all these people that are doing exhibits and stuff or boots, whatever. And they're also doing CrossFit. They're doing, you know, weightlifting, other events. We're all staying outside waiting to go in. And finally we get a hold, I get a hold of the guy. And I'm like, hey, we're trying to get in. What's up? He goes, uh, uh, just give me a minute. I'll, they'll let you in in just a second. I'm like, okay. Wait, 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 wait. It's now, it's now uh, like eight o'clock. We got people, like competitors, in line out there. They're all wondering what's going on. We're, we don't have any answers. Finally, we track somebody that actually works there, and they tell us, yeah, uh, your EMTs haven't showed up. They can't let anybody in until your um, medical staff is there. So I'm like, okay. I mean, we're not going to run an event. Can our staff at least go in? Wait another hour, nine o'clock. Finally, decide to let staff in. And then, Are you doing uh, kids at this event too? We're doing everything, yeah. So you yeah. would have normally been going with kids by then? No, it, uh, yeah, yeah, probably so at nine o'clock, yeah. So, but uh, eight o'clock, you know, finally it's like 10.30. We still have no EMTs. We have nothing going on. We're finally getting answers explaining what's going on. I'm getting out there yelling to the people like, hey, guys, this is completely out of our control. So sorry. I don't know what's going on. You know, this isn't normally how we run our events, stuff like that. I think it's 11 o'clock now. They finally get the EMTs there. And we're like, you know, and at this point, we're blaming the EMT service. We're not blaming anyone else. We're just thinking, you know, this is really irresponsible of the EMTs, you know, to not you know, show up on time when they're promised and stuff like that. Finally, 
11 o'clock, they start saying, okay, we can start letting people in. We're already two hours behind. You know, this is back in our, this is probably about five years ago. So we're still not as fluid as we are now. So a two hour setback is pretty big. Throw in the fact that it's, it's a new crowd to us. They've never experienced our events, so they don't know what to do either. And so we're trying to educate people. We're trying to make sure people know where they're going and all this other stuff. We're, you know, apologizing left and right. And then finally we get this, yeah, I think it was like 1130. We run our first matches. So we're officially two and a half hours behind schedule. Things are going great. We're catching up. We're, we're hitting our stride. We we're, we're about an hour and a half behind schedule. Uh, the, at around five or six, I want to say maybe at five 30, uh, the staff comes up to me and say, Hey, you guys need to wrap it up. I'm like, what do you mean? I said, you're, you're scheduled to be done by six. And I'm like, yeah, but we were two and a half hours behind schedule because we couldn't come in. They're like, well, that's not our fault. That's your promoter's fault. And I'm like, what are you talking about? And they're like, he didn't schedule EMTs until 11 o'clock. So they showed up at 11 o'clock and I'm like, okay, well, that's, that's not cool. What can we do? Can I pay you to have security stay? Cause that's the issue. It's now security was only slotted to be there till six o'clock. So I'm like, can I pay you your security to send? They're like, no, no, they're, they're pissed off at the promoter guy because he's not paid anyone or whatever. He's got drama going on with him. And so we finally, it's six o'clock. I'm like, run as many matches as you can. Let's go. Let's just keep going. Let's keep going. Let's try and get them. Ultimately, they start turning the lights off on us. And we're like, keep going. We got to get these people. We got probably about another hour, hour and a half left of matches to go. Finally, they decide the cops are walking on the mats, telling people they're going to arrest them if they don't get out of the building. And we're like, what the hell? What's going on here? I go hunt down the promoter. I'm like, dude, you're killing me, man. What's going on here? He goes, oh, I don't know. The, the, the venue's messing with us. All this Everything's pushing off to the blame to someone else. Finally, I, I, my nature is to be kind of, you know, like understanding. I try not to create a whole lot of conflict. I try to want to solve problems and stuff. So I'm like, okay, maybe there's a reasonable explanation for this. And so, you know, turns out he was full of crap. He just literally just did not pay anybody. He, at the end of the day, he didn't pay some of the super fight guys. He didn't pay for, we got some backlash for that, even though it wasn't his fault. Remember that. And it wasn't our fault. Um, he promised to pay people, didn't pay him. Um, he didn't pay us. He was supposed to pay for some of our expenses to get there. Didn't pay us. And it just turned out to be this big, huge fiasco. And it really kind of set us back uh, for a bit in Georgia. I mean, we finally regained some traction, but you know, it was, pretty, it was a pretty crappy thing that he did and never once really took accountability for it. Still hasn't paid anybody, to my knowledge. But that was probably one of the lowlights. What year was that in, 2015? Uh, yeah, probably 2015, somewhere around there. I think it was about five years ago. It was a, it was a bad day. Well, in contrast, what was a good time? Oh, gosh. I think the first – there was a couple of highlights for me. The first two-day event – was pretty uh, was pretty sp spectacular, um, and then our first uh, close to nine hundred person tournament was pretty spectacular. Wow! Have you had a thousand person tournament no. yet? No, not yet. I think uh, I think we can hit it. Uh, I think that obviously this whole you know coronavirus thing is going to set us back 
think it's going to set the whole industry back a good two years, I think. I think the gone will be the days of large tournaments for a while. I think that, uh, I mean, I'm sure you're feeling it. You've had, I'm sure people quit or yeah. take a step back. Um, when are you guys allowed to open back up? We can start doing some limited classes on May 4th in our state, but okay. it's like 10 people or less. Okay. So, so and you, how many, and you have how many students? ish 300 ish okay so you're used to having huge classes so by the time you finally get around to having full classes is maybe the end of may ish man if, if we're if we're lucky yeah so with that at what point in time are you like hey guys your competition ready agf is coming to arkansas oh man it, it would be it would be months you know and then on top of that, like we're, man, we just got moved into our new building, you know, like mm -hmm. the second week we were in there, they were like, man, you guys got to close down. Yeah. You know? But it has allowed us to really get super settled in there. Like we've been in there working or, or have work done in there like every day. So, but it's, um, in ways it's been positive like that. Like that's less, if you ever like been working on a house and then moved into it, the working on the house stops. So mm -hmm. it's like we had moved into the gym and we worked on it for like six weeks and it was, it was doing good. Um, but we weren't settled in there and now it's feeling a lot more like home, you know, mm -hmm. got a lot of stuff up and, but you know, it's going to be, it, there's so much uncertainty, but there's going to be several months of irregularity in all avenues like tournament preparation and people doing that. Yeah. And that's what it's going to, that's, and that's what I feel is going to be what's going on. Some people are going to jump in right away. Those are going to be like, yeah, I'm ready to compete today. If, if there was a tournament today, I'd compete. Th those aren't normal. Those are your people that, you know, I'm not going to be able to create, I can't create a tournament with, you know, those, those type of people. What I need is I need your people that are going to be part of your 300 that are going to be training for a month or two to finally come around. So I think, you know, next Arkansas, we're typically averaging three to 400 people at a tournament in Arkansas. I think it's probably gonna be about two years before I finally hit those numbers again. Um, I think if I give it two months after the gyms reopen, I might hit around half that. Do you think there's any way you could see the opposite and like everybody is, like that first tournament back, everybody is so uh, so excited and, and been wanting to compete that they flood the tournament. I'd like to be optimistic and think that. That would be fantastic. Um, sure, that, that possibility is out there. Um, I think realistically, though, pe most people want to be prepared for a tournament. And they don't want to go out there and, and be gassed or be, I mean – most of your people that compete are white and blue belts. So your white belts have not been training for the most part. And in a lot of cases, your white belts have to be coached into wanting to compete. You know, it's like, it's scary to compete sometimes. And so if you don't feel prepared, you know, and, and I, I can't expect you to sit there and say, hey, Billy, you know, I know you just started back and you've been gone for, you know, five weeks. Let's do a tournament tomorrow. You know, it's going to be really hard sell. 
And if he has a bad experience at that event, you know, he's going to sit there and second guess your, your faith in him. And, you know, it, it could be bad for you as well. So we, I think while I optimistically, I, I'd like your, your idea, but yeah, everybody's just dying for a tournament. I think realistically, I think, I think we got a month or two before people start feeling comfortable with it. Yeah. And that's been, that's been the speculation I think with all industries is like, are people going to return to normalcy in this industry and uh, mm -hmm. start attending martial arts classes like they used to, or is that going to see some downturn and then are, are they going to flood the gyms when they, I mean, I know I'm ready to go back to the fitness center and just exercise. Yeah. That'd be fun. Yeah. yeah I, don't, I don't lift weights, but uh, I'd be willing to do it <laughs> just to do something. You know, it's, it's, it's pretty, it's pretty boring being stuck at home. So, well, you've been overcoming a back injury. Is that correct? Yeah, it's still there. So how, how is that? Like, I know I've had issues with my back and it's like, you, you got to have your rest time. But honestly, a lot of it's like right now, both of us sitting down and I sit down at my desk like four or five hours a day doing this and that. And that's definitely not the best for my posture. Then there's jujitsu. I've taken some injuries and, well, jiu-jitsu is the complete uh, uh, opposite of what you want to be doing posture-wise. <laughs> yeah. You know, my entire jiu-jitsu game relies on me being scrunched up. So, yeah, yeah exactly. So, uh, yeah, so I, I've been having back problems for actually quite a while. Um, it was back in what was the what was the the Arkansas tournament that I competed in. Was it the Arkansas State Championships? Uh, yeah, it wasn't the last, it was the one before that. Yeah, so I, I was having back issues. It was uh, like tramp stamp area, uh, lower back area. And I didn't know what it was or anything like that. I just knew it hurt and, you know, I was struggling then. And then I think a couple months later, it started feeling a little bit better and I started training back hard again. I was trying to pre prepare myself because um, I didn't have a great showing uh, competing as a black belt. And so I wanted to try and I, I enjoyed competing, uh, competed against two really solid black belts. And I, you know, I felt I did decent in one of them and oh, really well in the other. And, uh, but I felt like I needed to have a little bit more, you know, you know, a little bit more up-tempo practicing and, and try and push myself a little bit better. So start pushing myself and I got tossed uh, by a, by a little squatty wrestler dude, he uh, hip tossed me. I landed right on my head. Was this in training or the match? This was in training. This was in training. So I was trying to take him down, and he ended up just throwing me, and I landed on my head. And from that point on, I started having some major. I couldn't move. I couldn't walk. Nothing was comfortable. I was in bed. You know, it's like no position in bed was helping. And so it was like I was waking up every three to four hours having to get up in the middle of the night and walk around for 30 minutes just to help the pain go away. Finally, I had gone and did a uh, MRI and they said that I had some bulging discs and I had three bulging discs. Uh, uh, I don't know, some, some bunch of stuff. And so I've just been kind of on the mend with that. It wasn't now until low back bulging disc in your low back. Mm -hmm. And then, so then, uh, why am I saying that? You just start to rub your back now. <laughs> I know. I was like, man, I felt that pain. Uh, so still hurting, started doing physical therapy. 
it's starting getting a little bit better. And I went and took a, a, a training trip uh, with a bunch of guys, kind of similar to what we had done in uh, Tennessee. And I had, I had gone to Phoenix with about six guys and fantastic. You know, first day, my back was a little bit sore. Second day, no pain whatsoever. Felt completely perfect, healed. Everything's great. Day two, start ha- uh, day three, start having a little bit of pain in my uh, left butt cheek. Day, the next day, whatever number I'm on, start working down my leg towards my knee. Final day, couldn't do nothing. Pain all on, down my sciatica, all the way from my butt down to the bottom of my feet. Um, I rolled with a buddy of mine at his gym that day. He had a big, huge, like, you know, 100 person open mat. I'm like, that's a fantastic open mat, but I can't do anything. And of course, he comes up to me, like, hey, man, you want to roll? I mean, yeah, I flew here to come train at your gym. Of course, I'm going to roll with you. So I rolled with him. We took it light. He knew I was in pain. But, you know, that's the last time I rolled. I haven't gone since then. And that was uh, mid January. Oh, man. So, yeah, so it's been pretty bad. And then I'd gone to a pain management doctor. And he was telling me, obviously, the surgery options, uh, then, of course, the epidural injection option. And then the third option was uh, medication. So I opted, obviously, for the medication to start with. And for the most part, that's been doing really well. Um, the It's got side effects, obviously. And then, of course, if you read the, the fine print, you see all the long laundry list of you know side effects. And so that's kind of scary. So I want to be on that long term. So I've been trying to wean myself off of it myself. And so I'm taking about, I have three medicines. I stopped one completely. And then one of them I'm supposed to take three times a day, only take it once a day. And then the other one I'm, I've been going between one day to two days to a day, just trying to figure out that right, that right concoction. So where I can take as little as possible. But um, two days ago I had a, stop taking everything altogether just to see where it was at. And I was having some mild pain. And then um, Saturday, we went to go see my daughter two hours away. Um, she's stuck at you know, her, her dorm, uh, her, her apartment that she's at. And we hadn't seen her in months. So we went and took a road trip, just get out. And just sitting in that car for two hours there and two hours back, I was in pain. I had to get back on the medication. So, so obviously it's there. And it's not healed, but it's it's tremendously better than it was. I don't know if I can roll, but we'll see. Yeah. Well, man, um, I wish you the best of that recovery. Just stay active on it. Um, some of the best things I've found, and it's just through really seeing other practitioners do this, but decompression on the spine, whether it be your upper cervical, like your neck, like getting like Omar, he's going to be on the podcast tomorrow. He has My like... Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, he, uh, he, let's see. Uh, Eric and then Clay Mayfield are coming on in the next okay. week. Eric Ingram. Very but cool. Omar has like the pump up thing on the neck, like, and it like stretches your head up. But you can get, um, you know, you can get the inversion tables. I thought about doing that. And then I don't know. I'm sh- assume they make a contraption for your low back. But when I've gotten massages in the past, people will like find belly down, get my ankles and like lift my legs up and I'll just, my legs will just hang dead weight. And that like tractions your lower back like that. 
Hmm. And that is some of the best that, and just like rolling my butt around on a myofascial ball, has been some of the best therapy I've found for low back. Okay. Years. But man, I, I, I've had back issues and uh, that's why I've like remarked to you about it a couple of times. Cause man, I, I empathize and I hope that you uh, get well. Cause I know how bad it affects your training. So. Yeah. I'm, I, I'm just sitting here. Um, as we, as we started this podcast, you know, I've been drinking, eating and not exercising a whole lot. And, you know, the scale has obviously not been my friend. Yeah, man, that was me. You know, like my, my dad had a heart attack back in November and I really, both my parents have had heart issues and I like really started exercising a lot. And then, I mean, I've still been super active during this whole downtime of exercise pretty much every day, ran five miles the other day. I'm doing a Murph Wednesday morning. That's so but, <laughs> Yeah. Well, I'll talk about hurt your back, man. She's running my back and then the top of my left foot is killing me for some reason. Yeah. Running is the stupidest exercise. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't ever get better. Oh, man. Yeah. We're like, man, I got through on my spine and my, my whole back is hurt. It's running stupid. <laughs> it's like, okay, so I went through this period uh, probably last month where I was like, okay, I'm going to... I'm going to try running again and I'm going to see how this, how this, you know, works out for me. I know it's going to suck when I start, but eventually it's going to get better. It doesn't. It's like every time I run the first quarter mile, like, actually like, the first uh, one eighth of a mile is like, yeah, I'm good. <laughs> then I hit, I hit the first wall. The first wall is that, that, first eighth all the way to about a half a mile where you're like go through waves of like you can still breathe but your knees hurt or your ankle hurts or your back hurts or something hurts to the point where you're like okay yeah screw this i'm done but then your your mental toughness kicks in you're like i gotta be strong i'm gonna keep running yeah i can do this you know all these other people do it i there's no really great shape i can do this so i sit there and i and i and run and i push through it then the breathing kicks in about that half mile on and you're like dying and you're like, okay, I can't seem to ever get enough air. And so then I'm like, okay, let me just slow down. And then you look at the, you know, I got run keeper on my phone. I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm doing a 12 minute mile pace. This, this isn't good. I shouldn't have to do this just to, to be able to breathe. So then I start picking up the pace again. And finally, after about nine tenths of a mile, everything seems to kind of come together and you're like, yeah, I got this. But then my mind's so OCD about things where they have to be in holes. So I, it's usually increments of five. So if I do a volume on my radio, it's got to be a five, 10 or 15. If I'm going to do push-ups, it's a five, 10 or 15 or 25, et cetera. It has to be an increments of five. So if I'm going to run, it's going to be a half a mile. It's going to be a mile. It's going to be a mile and a half, et cetera. I'm done. I've been running for 12 minutes. I'm done at 10 at a mile. I'm done. Let's I'm, I'm not, there's no way I'm going to keep this feeling going and going mile and a half or anything like that. So yeah, I, I gave up on running. It just doesn't, it's not for me. Man, you know, I can't even listen to music and run for me. I got it. Like I ran with a buddy of mine. The guy comes to the gym the other day and we were just bullshitting for the whole run five miles. So it's like a 49 minute run. 
but I listen to books. That's the only way I'm able to do it, whether I'm at the, on the treadmill or outside. Um, music, I, it doesn't even do it for me. I'm like, I've heard this song a thousand times, whatever. You know, it plays in the background while I train. It's old. But it's just, man, for me, the, the book listening is what allows me to be able to passively exercise like that. I've not tried that. Um, usually the, I can hear my heartbeat through my ears. I can feel my breathing, the pounding of my feet hitting the concrete, especially with headphones on, all affects my ability to listen to music. So it's gotten to the point where I don't listen to music when I run. Um, I got a rower at the house. And so I'll, nice. I can't do headphones because I can't, it just, I don't know. It just, I don't like headphones. And so I just turn, I crank up my, it's in my office. So I crank up the speakers and in on my, on my PC and I just blare some music and I can get through that. But I don't think I could listen to something that I have to pay attention to where I literally have to actively pay attention to. It's like trying to read something while watching a TV show. It's one or the other. I can't, I can't focus on both at the same time and fully grasp what's going on. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, have you ever like read a book and your mind wandered during a certain part and then you've got to, you're like, I, I just read seven pages and I have no clue. what just That happens a lot, but man, that's, and I'd like avoided reading like whole books for that reason, because it happened, it would happen every chapter of every book I ever tried to read. <laughs> but I saw I would end up skimming a ton of books and get my main ideas. And, um, but like with listening, my comprehension is way higher, but still I'll find myself occasionally like, I'll have to rewind a minute and a half um, because I don't understand the point he's currently making or, or, or what have you. But What kind of books are you, are you listening to? Are you listen like fiction, uh, nonfiction? History? I keep a little bit of everything going. Right now I'm listening to Rich Dad, Poor Dad, um, mm -hmm. Kiyosaki. Um, and I'm going to do another one of his after about financial IQ. So like, I'll get some sort of like, uh, some sort of book that's helping me develop with whatever skills I'm doing for business, you know, but then also I got like a history book usually going, uh, or something related to the classes I'm teaching. Like I just, you flip flop and listen to them all at the same time. Yeah. Not, not obviously at, at the same time, but. Like you'll do a chapter here, then switch to this one and this one. I never do more than three. I've never had more than three going at a time that I was like bouncing back and forth on. And if I did, one of them might be long and the others were five or six hour listens. Okay. Yeah. Now yeah. You had set a goal to do a certain number of books within. A hundred. Yeah. I'm 42 in. Within a year or? 100 for 2020. Yeah. Okay. So 42 in, I should meet my goal. Um, I've got a bunch of books that I'm, uh, that I have purchased or man, Audible's so cool with how they give you credits and stuff. So I, I really enjoy that service. I've listened to a uh, long time ago, it was a Tom Clancy back when they had tapes. So you put yeah. the, the tape in, and there's a Tom Clancy uh, book and it took a while getting used to because they have the voice actor for it would change different voices for the different characters and that was really really weird to start yeah. with. man joe montagna read me the godfather the other day so it was great who is that uh he's like a famous football player right joe montagna i don't know i don't know what he's famous for i remember them joking about him in, 
in the movie. No, it's not Joe Montana. <laughs> it's Joe Montana. Remember that movie, The Water Boy, where he's like, I said Joe Montana. Like the fans in the stand. I don't remember that. He narrates some, like, I noticed, like, this history documentary I showed in my uh, class. He narrates it, and I'm like, man, that guy just read me The Godfather. <laughs> so, yeah, voice yeah. actors are interesting. Um, uh, he changed his voice for every character? Yeah. John C. Riley also, he read uh, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Mm-hmm. So, like, uh, dude from Talladega Nights, Ricky Bobby's best friend. from Yeah, reading, a, reading about characters in a mental asylum. Yeah, it was wild. That's cool. Yeah. Well, man, just like wrapping up, you got any uh, any tips or things you've learned that you would like to maybe pass on to other uh, people who are in business? Um, I don't know if this necessarily applies to everyone. I, and I know that it's possible to be successful uh, not having this tip, but I mean, for me, it's been the business that I've been, obviously this is the business that I'm the most successful in. It's because it's my passion. It's because I 100% care about the success and the growth of the business. And so if I didn't have that, then I'm pretty sure that um, I wouldn't be, you know, where I am now. And so that would be my, you know, it's, everyone says it, you know, find something that you're passionate about and stuff like that. But for me, that was pretty important from, doing that and then once you customer service has always been kind of my my you know my way of you know my focus for running the business and so it's pretty important to me that you know to create a successful you know for AGF to be as successful as it has been it's been I think by creating the relationships with people and offering you know try to exceed their expectations with customer service you know and there's obviously going to be points where we fail but it's certainly it's an opportunity to try and make things right. And, you know, I think those are the, the things that I, I believe that it have helped make me successful. Yeah. Well, right on, man. Passion is a very special ingredient in success. I think for sure. Before we go, I want to wish you a happy birthday, sir. Hey, thanks, man. I've had people blow. I've gotten like uh, four text messages and a, uh, a, t- a ton of other people hit me up our whole uh, our whole time we've been podcasting. So I appreciate it, man. And thank you so much uh, for taking the time to come on the podcast. Thanks for having me. I didn't have anything else going on. So, <laughs> Well, uh, we'll talk to you soon, Chris. Tell everyone uh, in your neck of the woods I said hello and uh, have a great day. We'll do. Tell Cora I said hi. Yes, sir. See you. Bye. Bye.